Hello, and welcome to HR Unplugged episode 40, how to fix your broken performance review process. For many HR leaders, performance reviews can feel stressful and oftentimes like an unnecessary ritual. And employees can leave these meetings feeling lost about how to make real efforts to improve their work. In this episode of HR Unplugged, Anita Grantham, Vanessa Brulot, and special guest Adam Weber, Chief Evangelist at 15.5, share their experience and their advice on how to improve performance reviews to make them effective for everyone. They'll discuss what it means to create a culture of feedback, what self-evaluation questions you should ask employees, how to improve manager and employee relationships, and what you can do to make your performance management process fast and effective. Thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you by Bamboo HR, the complete HR software. Simplify HR with award-winning solutions for everything from hire to retire with Bamboo HR. Hi there, I'm Bamboo HR. Yes, the actual software. Just a moment, dearie, I'm here too. Spreadsheets? You're still around? I thought you retired. Well, don't forget about me. Who are you? I'm Clunky HR Software. I know all, I see all. So you all do hiring, onboarding, time tracking? Well, I can try. I'm a trier, that's for sure. Assuming people don't get lost in my maze of endless clicks or give up waiting for support, you betcha I can do it. <laughs> Uh, and payroll? Can you do a full payroll without any errors? Oh, I don't know anything about that, but I can do sums and columns. People love columns. I can do anything. Sort of, eventually. Are you user-friendly, fast, accurate, affordable? Do you set entire organizations free to do great work? Well, I... Uh... Wait, did I mention Rose? I do Rose, too. What does user-friendly even mean? <sighs> Go ahead. Get a free demo today at BambooHR.com. We do have an exciting guest today for our episode of HR Unplugged. I'd like to welcome Adam. And Adam, I apologize. I never asked you how to pronounce your last name. Is it Weber or Weber? It's Weber, like the girl. Weber. Thank, thank you for asking. It's my gut instincts, you know? <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> All right. So Adam Weber, Chief Evangelist at 15.5. Welcome, Adam. Uh, we are so excited you're here today. I know you have so much to add to our discussion, and the audience is really going to enjoy having you on the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself so the audience can get to know you. Hi, everyone. I'm Adam Weber, and I'm the host of the HR Superstars podcast, and I lead the HR Superstars community, um, and I'm the chief evangelist at 15.5. Prior to that, just a little bit about me. I wrote a book called Lead Like a Human, and it's all about how you can lead and build high-performance teams, but do it in a way that honors who you are um, and lead as your, your true authentic self. And then I also co-founded an employee engagement measurement company called Implify, where I was the chief people officer and we measured cultures and coached executives on how to build high performance teams. And then while kind of serving in that role, I would open source all of my work. So what I'm really passionate about is the new side of strategic HR and elevating and lifting up the HR profession. And so everything I did, like when I experimented with a four-day work week, I would share like how I use data to drive that decision, um, all sorts of things. So. That's me. I live in Zionsville, Indiana, a small town outside of Indianapolis, and I got two kids. I'm an avid pickleball player, and I have a dog, and I've mar been married 17 years, and I have a dog right behind me who is uh, probably going to join this uh, podcast as well. Thank you so much, Adam, for being here today. Um, let's, you know, there's the, that's a great segue, kind of your your intro into our first set of questions for our topic today. I like to start by talking about why performance reviews can sometimes go so poorly for employers. And Anita, I know you have some 
it's some new data to share on this. Walk us through that. We're sharing a screen <laughs> right now. And so we're watching the script and I got a little bit ahead. So I apologize. <laughs> There's just having too much fun. We're having too much fun for sure. Well, let, let's talk about this because we were able to gather some anonymized data to assess how well performance reviews are going. We pulled data from 2019 to 2023, and we found some really interesting things. Despite moments like COVID, quiet quitting, and other um, you know, team-centric influences, we did not see a change in managers' assessments of employee engagement between 2019 and 2023. I was actually astounded to see this data. I thought it was really interesting. We also didn't see a change in manager assessments of employee impact through that time, which also feels really weird to me. Managers and employees don't appear to be aligned on the value they bring to the company. And in our pre-call, we talked a lot about this. You know, when you get together with a team, man a team member and a leader and you're like, what's going on when they're not going getting along? And the team member says one thing and the leader says something else. And you're like, oh, that's why it's not happening. What's interesting is that's not being reflected into the data. You know, out of the people who are categorized as easy to replace, 42% of those people said that they were highly valuable. So there's also a disconnect there, which I thought was, was super interesting. And out of the people managers who said it wasn't working out, 37% of those employees said they were highly valuable. So it seems like the managers aren't seeing the value and the team members really think that they're valued. And so this is why we think sometimes performance reviews go so poorly and why we see this disconnect between what's actually happening and what the team members think is happening. But basically, we just think that there's a big misalignment that is not getting captured in the performance review process between value viewed by the team member and value assessed by the leader themselves. Yeah, those misalignments are, are very real. And Adam, I know you have some great insights on this as well. Why do you think there's such a disconnect? What do you think we should be doing to make performance reviews better? Yeah, um, one bit of data even just to build on what you said about the disconnect. I, I actually have a talk called The Great Disconnect about the employee and the manager. We surveyed a thousand employees, a thousand managers and kind of asked them how often they receive feedback, how often an employee receives feedback. And what's interesting is that managers think they give feedback 85% of the time. Employees actually or say they receive feedback 52% of the time. And so you've got this kind of like, there's something happening at times that what I call them is like forgettable conversations where you're not like really truly connecting with uh, the employee. And so I think in what, so foundationally, let's just start there. One of the ways to fix the performance review process is to create a culture of feedback. Performance reviews too often for the employee, they feel unfair because they're finding out information for the first time in a, in a biannual or annual process. And, and that is going to create issues inside of the culture. Um, I think in general, a performance review should be an intentional macro level conversation that summarizes a whole lot of micro conversations in between. It's like, it's that. just a, a place that creates this safe container to go, hold on, we live our lives kind of in the, in the day to day, in the ticky tack, right? But we're going to zoom out just a little and talk about the summation of all that day to day and how it's going. And what happens too often 
is that we skip the micro conversations and you end up with these performance reviews that are causing surprises for the employee. And oftentimes I would actually say they do the opposite of what we hope. They don't increase performance. They decrease performance because they make people, they, they demotivate or they have people who start looking for other jobs. Adam, that's interesting. We've got a comment by a frequent listener that we love, Eleanor O'Brien. Thanks, Eleanor, for being back in the audience again. Is it possible that employees only remember the negative feedback? Like, what do you think on that? That is a great question, probably. Um, and, and it's also probably true that we, when we deliver feedback, we're not as clear. Our, what comes out is not as clear as we think it is. One of my, my general rules is when I deliver feedback or what I encourage my managers to do is to deliver feedback through two mediums. So what that would look like then is in a one-on-one, -on -one, I'd say, you know, uh, hey, Anita, I've been, um, I, I observed something that I wanted to share with you because I think it'll help you kind of work toward this promotion or whatever the defined goal is between the two of us and then share that thing, right? So I've now set it. And then after that one-on-one -on, -one on Slack, I say, Anita, thanks so much. I really appreciate the candid conversation. Just to summarize that area of growth that we've both kind of talked about, it, this is what I said. And then I say it again and I say, and I'm sharing it. So that way you and I can talk about it in the follow-up meetings too. And now we have a foundation of like continual feedback that, that is set up. That's a great tip. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And, and I love that you mentioned that too, because I actually had a recent experience where I was giving an employee some feedback and then responded uh, within like a few hours before the end of the day via email, like, hey, here's what we talked about. I um, just want to make sure that you're aligned. And what what happened from that was they were able to ask some clarifying questions. Oh, actually, I didn't understand what you meant by this word or I didn't understand what this means. And then we were, we were able to come um, back and forth together to create alignment to where they felt really good about, oh, yeah, no, that totally makes sense now. Thank you so much for taking the time. But if I hadn't followed up with that email correspondence where they could really define and clarify with me, we would have had a bigger disconnect. The, the email written follow up is really key. I think yeah. like this is like I'm going to share it with you verbally and then let's like use all of our senses, our mm -hmm. hearing, our vision and everything, our tactical pieces to make sure everybody can connect. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I, I agree. I even um, this might sound kitschy, but this is what I actually do. This is my real world. OK, so I if it's something that I have defined as like a blocker to that person's promotion or to their career. I actually brand it like I create uh, so that it can come up so often. So uh, example would be someone who I know is trying super hard, who's doing a lot, but is maybe not doing the right things <laughs> like like. And, and so I would create a brand that's like your phrase. Our mantra for this quarter is focused velocity. And mm -hmm. every single time we meet, we're going to chat about focused velocity like that sort of thing. I think that the best HR people are marketers at heart, Adam, and you definitely are. Like, I think that's a great way. It's up, it's light, it's direct, it's focused on the task at hand. And I think it helps people, you know, do that. I have mantras for myself at times, and it just helps me really get clear on what I'm going after. Because feedback can be scary. And I actually have like a response to that word, you know, if, if Vanessa sits me down and is like, Anita, I've got to deliver some feedback to you. Like, I mean, there's some data out there that talks about it triggering, 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 <laughs> um, you know, the flight or fight response that comes out of your amygdala, this back part of your brain here. 
And so I've really worked to go through some other terminology because a lot of times I found that when I have a situation with people in a room and then I go back one-on-one and I'm like, hey, Vanessa, on the podcast, when you said this, what did you mean by that? And then I'm going to be an investigator. I'm going to be super curious about Vanessa's context to the comment that she made or the experience that she gave. And I might learn something that actually changes my feedback. And so first, I always like to get curious and really assess whether my feedback was me, something else or different context before I go in and give it. And then second, if it's still justified in my fact finding mission, then I like to ask, like, when is a good time for us to have a thoughtful conversation about my experience with you on the podcast the other day? Because I got to be honest, like Adam and Vanessa, there's times I am not open to feedback. Like there's days I'm not in the place to actually be open and receiving it. Mm -hmm. And I really want to make sure that I think about the person and put them in a situation to be able to hear and respond. And I want to be good for that too. So actually if somebody starts engaging with me and it's like, I have feedback to give you and I'm not in the place, I will also, you know, participate and say, hey, this isn't a good time. I really want to hear what you have to say, but can we pick a time where we can be alone in a room and um, we can really tee this up and also have the time. I have a real allergy when people give feedback in the last five minutes of a one-on-one. You know, when you're going back to back and you can't ask questions and you can't have a conversation. So I think that it's not so much about the what you give, but the vehicle, the how you deliver it that can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the- well, and I, sorry, go ahead, Adam. Well, oh, well, so, sorry. One one quick thing just to add to that, too, is to check your own, uh, if you're the one delivering feedback, to check your own emotional climate as well. Like feedback should never be delivered in anger. Um, and I I think quite often it goes from no communication to angry to and, and kind of yeah. checking that filter to make sure it's done inside of the safe context of the relationship and to try to both improve that person and improve the business as well. You know, I totally agree because I think to your point earlier, Adam, where people don't hear it or it's not clear, sometimes I don't hear things like this is a code red. I think sometimes it's delivered it as a moderate yellow, but the mm-hmm. person is feeling code red. So I just want you to be explicit with me. Like if this happens again, we have a real problem, mm-hmm. right? Versus the kind of this passive aggressive of like, I'm going to kind of tiptoe in it. That way I say it, I check it off the box but I'm really not sharing the gravity, which kind of leads to um, the break in the relationship or true breakdown that can occur because we're afraid to say, if this happens one more time, I don't think you can work here anymore. Like this is where we've gotten to. We've had this conversation over and over again. And I just want to be super explicit that at this time, without a, a real change, we can't move forward. When I love the the stoplight scenario, because it's like a lot of times, yeah, like I might be feeling something's a red light, you might not. You might be like, oh, is it even a yellow? Yeah, because we all have different levels of like how we would react to it. And so that was something um, I actually spoke with my manager about that a few weeks ago. Me and Kelsey had a good conversation about like, hey, you know, when we're talking about feedback, like let's use the stoplight system mm-hmm. um, because then we can come in at the right priority level. And it it's it's a really great breakdown if you can get to that place where you can speak like that amongst your your peers and and use that language. Very true. So, so Adam, I know that you have um, some pointers in this section about how to create that culture of feedback. Do you want to do you want to go ahead and share those things? I think one one of the things is that top HR leaders too, too often, I think H, what HR leaders do is they try to act like superheroes 
And which I understand that your community is called HR Heroes and mine's HR Superstar. And it's like, it's like, it's all part of like woven into the fabric of who we are. But actually, I feel like at times that ends up holding back the growth of the HR leader. And it kind of, uh, uh, when you take on too much, like that doesn't actually mean that you have to take on everything and shoulder everything and do it all yourself. And so I think what the very best HR leaders do is they recognize that the way to influence the culture is through the managers and they can support managers by creating this culture of feedback. And to do that, one is to recognize that, that giving feedback and management in general is a learned skill. It is not a given trait. It is something that takes practice and fumbling a little bit and genuine education. Um, I think the other is to create manager expectations that include things like consistent and steady feedback, weekly one-on-ones or however frequent the one-on-one frequency is. And another critical one is goal alignment. There are so many employees right now who don't actually even know what their job is or what is expected of them. They don't know what success yeah. looks like. And so the more often that we can create these cultures where employees have clarity on what is expected of them and then how they're doing against that expectation, um, I think you'll, you will create, you'll create healthier cultures where, where HR is not in a reactive posture. You're doing these things proactively so that you can stay proactive. Well, Adam, let's let's jump to to our our second part is let's walk through some self-evaluation questions. What should we be asking employees? <laughs> what should we be asking? What should we be asking employees to self-evaluate in performance reviews? Anita, let's start with you. So I think some good questions, and Adam, you just got to this, and we actually have this as a top-level OKR at Bamboo, but how does your job impact the mission, vision, or strategy? right? What results are you going to achieve? How do they contribute to what we're focused on? Did you use values as a gate to get the performance? We all know people that can execute really, really well, but if people don't want to work with them, it doesn't work. You know, are you really operating in a leadership capacity? Are you able to manage other managers, different skill than managing other team members? And one big one that we've really been focused on, too, is are you growing at the pace of the business, right? It's really easy to grow in peacetime, right? When businesses, everything's up and to the right. We're in wartime right now. Um, Can you grow in wartime? And there's still growth in a business in maturity, but it's at a different pace. And so where are your team members? Are they ahead, above or below that, that curve? When I think the answers to those questions can really show any misalignments. You mentioned this earlier, too. It really shows misalignments and helps drive the conversation for future growth. Um, Adam, what are your thoughts on self-evaluation questions? Yeah, my general philosophy on self-evaluation is to keep it simple. So three big buckets of how I think about it. The first is to ask, um, it's good for employees to have a moment to reflect over a larger quantity of time. And to, to ask the what. So like, what did I accomplish? What was the impact I had on the business? Then there's the how component. Like, how did I move inside the business? Like, did I accomplish my goals in a way that also is, is values aligned with the business, right? It's not enough just to accomplish your goals. You have to accomplish your goals as well as do it in a way that resonates with the business. And then the third is where, like, where is there opportunity for me to grow and develop? And, and, I, my favorite part of performance management and performance reviews is when an employee 
self-selects an area of growth and the manager also selects an area of growth. And those two things come into alignment. And I just think that's like such a beautiful thing. That is the holy grail. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well said. <laughs> well, one thing to know for folks on the call that maybe don't have a manager that's good at having performance reviews, you can ask those self-evaluation questions to yourself. This can help you assess where you where you are and if you need to focus on any other areas of improvement. And one thing I just want to add there too is, uh, you know, in the self-evaluation is what what did my best day look like? Mm-hmm. What did I enjoy in my role? And this is something that was kind of a pivotal moment for me was like my, my focus is shifting to kind of some employee relations side, like more escalated type issues. And I love the seat on the bus that I'm in right now. Like, and not that I know, didn't like the other seats on the bus, but she's like, really good at it though. This is a superpower <laughs> though that we hadn't been able to figure out that we're just figuring out now, which is yeah. not cool. Yeah, and it's like, and it's it's a, that, that moment of like, oh yeah, these are my favorite days is when I was able to handle these types of things. Okay, well, let's focus on that. Let's gear you towards those types of, those projects and things. And all of a sudden you're able to get an employee that delivers a hundred times more because they're so passionate about the seat they're, that they're in. Like, I'm going to like, imagine like a seat on a bus. Mine is not going to be dreadful looking. Like it is like a party seat, like with like party favors, like I've got balloons, like, you know, that's like the type of seat in the bus you want. And so asking those kind of questions to yourself, that self-evaluation is super important. Um, Well, let's talk through how we can improve manager and employee relationships. This can be difficult, especially when there are so many moving parts, new hires and different management styles. Adam, what is your number one advice for HR folks trying to help managers and employees develop good working relationships? Yeah. Well, I'm still over here also processing like the bus that you're on just is like, it sounds like such a party bus. Like it sounds like a great time. And then you're in like the VIP section of this bus. I just like. There's lights and drinks. I know. At first I was like, you started your metaphor and I was on like a school bus and I was like picturing Forrest Gump, like seats taken. (laughs) And then all of a sudden like lights start flashing. There's strobes. There's disco. You're great. Yep. Party. (laughs) Yeah, I think um, part of like building these great relationships between managers and employees, like what makes HR challenging is that you have to do this through influence. And and so and and solving this is critical, too. And I know we've talked about this manager employee relationship already, but just to kind of bring this home, 70 percent of an of an employee's engagement is tied directly to their manager. Twenty five percent, one in four people would be relieved if their manager quit. <laughs> and I, I don't have the exact number. I want to say I have it somewhere, but not in front of me. But I want to say it's like 40 some percent believe they can do a better job than their manager. Hmm. So I, I think where where HR can support this scenario is to come come in and do things like give access to manager coaching and manager training, give access to tools like software that makes management more efficient. When, when we partner, when we think about our relationship with um, HR's relationship with managers, one of the questions is like, how are we making their lives better? Being a manager is hard. Being a, like time. HR is hard, I, is very hard. Being a manager is also hard. There's nothing quite like executive team making a decision that you disagree with and then being a manager sitting in a team meeting and like, <laughs> that's a tough job. And so there are ways that we can equip and make that uh, a winning position and, and support them. A couple tactical things, like I mentioned earlier, but I do think that 
consistent one-on-ones is foundational because all of this thing, like giving feedback, um, you could you could read a book on feedback and do it technically right. But if you do not have a foundation of a, of a relationship that has that person's best interest, it is not going to work. And so foundationally, you have to build a great relationship. And then the other small thing that I think would really make a big difference is just every single week, what are two things, like have the employee and the manager say, these are my two most important priorities this week. Say them, put them in Slack, say them on Teams, whatever, or say it out loud in the office. And then verify with the manager, like, do we both agree on what is important? And if we can both kind of consistently agree on what's important, we will start to triage a lot of the issues that come because most of the issues that come, come from either broken relationship where we can't have real conversations or misalignment on what's important. Well, Anita, what would you add here? What is your number one advice for HR folks trying to help managers and employees develop good working relationships? Yeah, I'm aligned with both of you on this. And there's a question in the chat that's really good. You know, our CEO is not very involved when it comes to giving feedback to the C-suites. Therefore, it's me as HR who's in charge of it. And that's where I think you should excuse yourself from that role. There's nothing worse than receiving feedback from somebody else who has feedback for you. It's not actionable. It's not specific. It's not detailed. And the game of telephone is usually inaccurate. And so it's really important that it's a manager's job to demonstrate the effectiveness of one-on-ones, of giving feedback, all of those things. That's where people learn it from. Like it always cracks me up where my C-suite will come to me and say, Anita, you have to give a class on -on one-on-ones. And I looked at them and I said, well, how great are yours? Because really, I shouldn't have to teach a class on this because if I'm in a one-on-one, you're so effective that if I'm a manager of managers, I'm going to learn how to do that one-on-one from you, from you. That's where the class comes from. And too often, I think, Adam, back to your statistics that were really sad, we learn what not to do. But there's very few leaders that are teaching us how to be a great example of effectiveness. Yeah. yeah. And Kev- Kevin's question, I think, is one that probably a lot of people can resonate with. What's interesting with these talks that I do, the most common question I get is, when, sh- like, how do I know when to quit? It, it, you know, and, and I think um, one of the times that you know is when you, you, are con- you have data to back up your decisions, you're confident in what you want to do, you, you pitch it with confidence, and then you get rejected. And then when you get rejected, that happens in business. But when it happens uh, multiple times, it's usually a pretty good sign. You're like, my best, my highest and best work isn't here. There's no, there's no blinky lights on this bus. <laughs> then it's time to exit the yeah. bus. Yep. Yeah, time find to, a new yeah. bus with a new find, seat. <laughs> find a bus with strobes. Yeah, and, and under lights. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good excuse to redecorate, you know, go into a new bus, redecorate the seat. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, let's get into our last section here. I want to get some final insights. After years of managing the performance management process, what is your advice to make it fast and effective? Adam, I'd love to hear your thoughts first. Yeah, I think, well, one, if you happen to still be someone who is doing this without software, I would say that is probably your number one way to make it fast and effective. Like it's not. Um, and and I have 
been doing HR long enough that I really did use, like I had to do this manually and it is a really inefficient process. So take advantage of the efficiencies that are out there. Another thing I think in, in the results at the start of this webinar podcast, like show this, if you don't get the managers on board, like early, it will be a slow process. And so taking time early to truly sell people on the process, like what is in it for me? What, why are we doing this? What is the value? What are the deadlines? Radically clear expectations is the way that I word it. And like really kind of instill belief in the process early. It will save you so much time. And then the one thing I'm just like excited about with performance management and like we we just released Spark AI, which is a way to we're, we're we have been envisioning this world of um, performance reviews that write themselves for for years, this continual performance management process. And what Spark AI does, it takes the one on ones we've been talking about goals and it aggregates all of that for you. So then when the manager starts the process, it starts with like a kind of a data driven, unbiased review as well. That's amazing. Um, I love these points, Adam. The one area that I feel like I want to push on just a little bit is that I don't think HR is responsible for business performance. I think, you know, the CEO is responsible and whatever leader you're partnered with is responsible. It's our job. So if I have to go sell why performance matters, I want to be look at like there's only seven companies that are holding up our stock market right now in the SaaS tech sector, right? It's the Magnificent Seven. They're the only seven that perform. So you think that everything is okay, but really everybody else is really struggling and you've got the Apples and the Microsoft and the Googles and the Metas that continue to hold it up. So if you look at overall public company performance, we are suffering. And so if you have a CEO out there that needs to be sold on performance management, my sell is, well, do you want to keep your job? Like that would be, that would be the thing. And if you think the company and the people are performing in the best way that they can, then let's scrap it, man. Like, I don't want to do performance management any more than you do. (laughs) Totally. And uh, which I think the thing also I was referring to is getting the employees on board. I think is that if, if the process is approved and you know, you're doing it, it's like, what are all the things that slow this thing down when it's in motion to kind of like keep the, keep the thing moving. But yes, if you, I think we're getting to a common theme that is if you have a CEO who is blocking your work or slowing you down, it is a, that is a tough battle to fight because ultimately, like, how do you win that battle? It's just, it's not a losing, it's not a winning proposition. Yeah. And even to your point, whether it's the CEO or it's the people leaders, I, it's like, um, or the employees, like one of the best things, if you don't have an organization as an employee that's helping you identify performance, it's something you can always do. You don't have to be a victim of it. You can put down, these are the things I'm focused on and tee it back. I've done this a number of times with CEOs. These are the things that I'm focusing on this quarter. Does this work for you? Um, Is there anything else that you would want to see my precious time and energy focused on? If there is, please share it with me and I'll make sure to deliver on those things. So you don't need somebody to manage it for you. You can do it for yourself and you can do it for your people team, which I think is an area that oftentimes we miss out on and serving up. And we've talked about this in the data and analytics podcast and a number of them of like, hey, here's my agenda for the quarter. Here's my agenda for the first half. These are the things that I'm going to focus on. Give me feedback on whether or not that'll work for you. But here's how I'm going to manage and measure our performance. Eleanor had a really good comment of like, I think there are many employees that don't think their self-evaluations matter. How would, how do you overcome that? Like any advice there? 
Adam, do you want to pick up first? Do you want me to give it a shot? Go ahead. I, I mean, I have thoughts, but I want to hear yours. <laughs> I mean, I think this is really interesting. You have to tie it into promotion or compensation, right? Like we're not here working, um, you know, a, some of us, I think, are working for nonprofits and for a cause. A lot of us work for a cause. We look for, work for benefits. We work for pay and we work for advancement. And so you have to figure out in your employee value proposition why it matters. Why are you evaluating? But I think humans by nature want to feel like they're winning. They want to feel that they're contributing and they're connecting into something bigger. So if that evaluation doesn't allow them to feel that connection, then I think that's that's where you're going to not be able to overcome it. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I think you're spot on. And I, I, think, I think a lot of times they don't matter. Like, I think there's a lot of organizations that are just kind of running the process kind of without like doing the the um, making it matter. I, um, on the inverse of what you're saying, I think is also true. Um, yes, for promotions. Yes, for compensation. I've always, some people are against compensation tied to the performance management. And to me, my challenge is like, if performance isn't the foundation of what gets you a raise, then what does? That, that right. sounds, that seems concerning to just my own opinion. But, and then the other side is that they matter also for um, maintaining your job. Like part of uh, the agreement between employees and the company is that you have to execute on the agreements in your job to maintain your position. And so performance management in theory is also a way to, it matters because it is a way that helps employees understand, are they performing against what's expected for that role too? Mm -hmm. Well, it kind of ties into what you're saying of, of Jeffrey's comment above. One key to making performance management and evaluation simpler is to not treat evaluations as an event but an ongoing process, waiting until the last minute, creates stress for both managers and employees. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so it was perfect. All right. Anything else, Anita, that you want to add in this section before we move on to Q&A? Let's get some Q&A in. There's so many great comments in here. So yes. let's go ahead and, and jump in. Okay. Well, before we jump in the Q&A section, I want to give a shout out to two resources we can share today to help you with your performance management process. First, a Bamboo HR piece we can share in the chat. It details over 40 questions you can add to your performance review. It's really packed with some great info that I think you should check out. And second, 15.5's comprehensive guide to designing a fair, valuable, and efficient review process. This piece gives great advice to the principles for designing a fair, valuable, and efficient review process. So make sure to check those out. All right, so jumping into Q&A. Uh, I'm curious to learn what are some underlying factors contributing to performance-related related issues folks are seeing and what are some actions HR comes back with for the business? Um, who wants to take a stab at it first? I think one interesting thing real-time that's happening that's causing performance issues is that employee tenure is stretching right now because of lack of confidence in market opportunities. And and so we kind of have a bit of a demotivated workforce in general. And so I think employee motivation is is an underlying um, issue. And and so I do. And I think that's a challenge for HR uh, right now to just be considering, like, in what ways are we like this is a real time thing that's happening. How do we kind of motivate our long tenured employees toward to, to kind of push toward our goals and to help the company um, execute? I love that one, Adam. The other one I'm thinking about, too, is just the rise of AI. And I think a lot of people are in fear around, like, will my job be around? And I actually, I, I vetted this analogy. So it came from our AI expert who's been on the show before, Alan Whitaker. 
And this is how I view AI. If you haven't watched Hidden Figures lately, you know it's one of my favorite movies, but where they move the IBM into the building, into the room, and then the mathematicians aren't going to do math anymore because the IBM is going to do it. And then the woman comes in and learns how to program the IBM. And so Alan Whitaker, our head of AI here, said that's kind of the same thing we're going through right now. So your job will still be valuable, but it's different in how you leverage and use the technology. And I think it's important for business leaders to kind of paint a picture about the use of AI, what jobs will be affected and start that upskilling and reskilling sooner than later. It's almost like a pivot. And yes. I think of the Friends episode when they're like, pivot. <laughs> That's where we're in with HR and AI. <laughs> it's true. It's true. All right. Well, here's the next uh, top voted question here. Let's see. What are some strategies to address evalu evaluation challenges such as recency, horns and halos and other biases? Ooh, this is a good one. I believe the biggest bias is recency bias. Um, by the time you start to fill out your like your performance review, the manager, the quarter or the half year has already ended and they start reviewing what's taken place over the last four weeks rather than the last six months. And so the more that you can guide the process to as a look back, make it as factual as possible um, and, and kind of inside of like scoping that time frame and making it really clear is is one small thing you can do to help. That's that's really important. We actually took a resource like what Adam has shared, and we put that into our calibration process. And before we started calibration on our team for this performance cycle, we reviewed, we spent five minutes and reviewed the different biases, which ones we thought were going to affect our comments most. And it was a great way to use language. So we could say, hey, like what I'm experiencing by that comment is recency bias from you. Are you sure you've seen a pattern of that over the last year? And that was a really great tool for our leaders to get more familiar and use it, use it freely. Yeah, it kind of created that shared language where it was like I being in those meetings, I could see it coming up from leaders that wouldn't usually bring it up day to day. But because it was that pre-read and that shared language, all of a sudden it was this natural conversation that happened, which is which is really cool to see. Mm -hmm. So I love that. I'm like big fan of pre-reads. I think especially if they're like concise, like really easy to consume pre-read that just keeps it top of mind is, a, is an effective way, I think, a simple effective way to combat bias. I totally agree. And I like it to be a start guide. You know, when you get a new technology and you've got the one half page start guide, like that's what you can do in a lot of your HR programs. And it makes a big difference to set the stage for what you want to achieve in it. All right. So let's do this one. Our leadership wants to return to ratings-based reviews versus comment only. What are your thoughts? I think it depends what you want to create in your culture and how you are or are not tying it to compensation and what you're doing with those ratings. Like in theory, I don't love ratings. I don't like putting labels on people. I don't like buckets. And it's an effective way to calibrate, you know, what's working, who, what is a role model of getting results and using values at a gate as a gate. Let's talk through that group of individuals. What's the next phase of people that aren't as effective as that? Maybe they're like somewhat consistent in it. And what are the examples of where they're missing and would need to get to a full demonstration of that behavior? So I think there's pros and cons, but it's really a bigger cultural question and where it ties into compensation. I don't know, Adam, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think it's totally, I think this is a, there's no right answer. There's just every company's different. The one thing I will say is that if leadership um, wants to do this, which is I I like ratings in some ways, um, if they're tied to goals, 
But if you're going to move into this, you have to give notice. Like you can't, yeah. don't, they shouldn't find out as the process is beginning. It should be more of like a six month, like, hey, we're moving toward rating-based reviews. This will help us create fairer review process. These are the things we're going to grade your performance on. And, and then kind of just making it very transparent and giving a lot of people heads up. And like just to double down on this, because I'm super passionate, if you do this rating cycle every year, you have to give a year's notice, right? You can't say we're going to grade for a whole year and we're telling you the quarter before. All right, well, let's share this last question here is what's a good way to ensure your managers are running good, regular performance-based discussions with their people without observing them, especially hard in a remote landscape? Yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in our world at 15.5, like the check-in is is a weekly process that we run, right? It's part of the software. But at the end of the week, the employee kind of re recaps their week. Their goals are in there. They also name their priorities. And then there's a part for gratitude where they can uh, kind of recognize their coworkers as well. And so I think that process, and then you can you can kind of add some qualitative questions so you can get a pulse of how the organization's doing as well. But is a this is why we call it continual performance management. You're not just doing it once a year. You're gathering this data all the time, real time, uh, to kind of stay ahead and uh, of and kind of triage issues before they come. Any final thoughts on that? I I think Adam's got it spot on. I love it. All right. Okay, well, thank you, Anita and Adam, so much. I had a great time talking with you today about performance reviews. Such an exciting conversation. Before we wrap up, Anita, do you want to take us through the three takeaways for today? I sure do. Our three takeaways were that feedback should not be a surprise. It's not the surprise we like. Um, so don't make your performance review a surprise review. Work to provide consistent feedback and communication and regular check-ins and one-on-ones. The number two is use two medium feedback methods to ensure communication is clear. Use Adam's tips to make sure use written and verbal feedback to make sure that the message has landed and everybody understands what it is. Consider using self-evaluation questions and performance reviews. Um, and then that way you can get a sense where everybody sees what performance is and what it's not. If you don't have a performance review process, you can evaluate your own performance. You, do, you can use the software. You don't have to. You can use Google Forms, um, Sheets, all of those things, and make sure you can get it done that way. So, Adam, just a sincere thank you. Uh, we're so grateful for you and all of your knowledge that you shared with our heroes and superstars today. Please visit us at hrunplug.com. Subscribe to our series and leave us feedback. Please join our HR Hero Slack channel. Please leave us a review so we can customize this content to you. Thanks for all the wonderful work that you're doing out there and creating amazing places to work. Have a super day. Thanks for joining us for HR Unplugged. This series is brought to you by Bambu HR. Visit us at bambuhr.com slash HR unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how Bambi HR sets people free to do great work. 